I I don't I don't I, I don't know what the actual church Easter celebration is anymore. All I can think of is like Easter bunny, a- rabbit, and eggs and stuff like that. So like, where did that come from, and why do we do that shit? Because there's not even any explanation. Like, as far as I remember from the church, there's no explanation to like bullshit a, wi- a reason for us to do the eggs. No, they never they never even try. I mean, the same reason do they ever try to make a Christmas tree fit in with Jesus? Do they ever say like, "Oh yeah, Mary was hanging like fruits and nuts and popcorn on a on a evergreen yeah. in the manger?" No, they never try to make it tie in, which is it's just another level of how demonstrably ludicrous everything is. <laughs> So hello there, TJ Von Sheer, that's your name. My name is Maylon. That's true. We are back here with another movie which features religious elements and allows us to talk some shit about the institution of religion and more generally Christianity. (laughs) I'm going to throw this at you with no warning. Uh, Do you want to tell the listeners a little about yourself and some of the things that you're working on and where they can find your other work? Okay. <laughs> yeah, guys, when I'm not working on the Incredible Wise God podcast with my lovely sister, Maylon, I make YouTube videos about uh, stock chart analysis, and you can find me at, at Charting Trends for Trading Options. That's the name of the channel on YouTube. And uh, yeah, actually, I just went back to school, so that's the other thing I'm doing. <laughs> Very cool. And I'm, I'm May, as he said. I am eight months pregnant which is forever pregnant. Uh, <laughs> I sleep 15 hours a day. I have two cats. Um, I have a BA in philosophy of religion, a garden. I'm a runner. I like to read. We have been uh, bringing you new content once, once a week up until this episode. And as I said, like I'm only getting more pregnanter by the day. So for the foreseeable future, we're going to be slowing down somewhat and releasing a new episode every two weeks. And once Jaja is here, Jaja is my future child. Who knows what will happen? We might have to take a break. Maybe TJ will host more guests. We don't know yet. We'll see. So thank you for coming along on the journey. Love that you're here. So this week we watched the Shawshank Redemption. TJ, why did you pick this movie? I love this movie. It's one of my <laughs> favorites. One of the movies which I've seen a lot of movies over and over again, and this one's pretty high up there on the how many times I've seen it. And um, yeah, I just thought it'd be a good one. I th- and, I, and I think it was, honestly. I feel like the symbolism here, some of it was right there, and some of it was a little bit lower. There's there's levels to it in this one. So um, yeah, I, I think it was a good, good choice. What do you think? I totally agree. I think it was a great choice. It was hard for me to get into, like, to to be able to see see it for the content that it held at first because it's one of those movies that I've seen so many times yeah. that my brain is just like, yeah, this is just the Shawshank Redemption. Like, I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Andy. We love Andy. There's Red. He's cool. Like, fuck that warden guy, right? Like, fuck him. Right. Um, <laughs> the asshole. So, but no, I was able to, yeah, no, it's great. It's really, it's really, it's, it's a perfect movie for our podcast, I think. And, um, did you, Mm -hmm. did you get a synopsis? 
No. <laughs> oh, that was the other thing I wanted to say besides the synopsis. So, like, this movie, when it first came out, it was kind of a flop at the box offices. But as I'm sure most of our listeners know, it was one of those movies that you could just turn on the TV, like, any time, day or night, and it would it would be on TV. Like, you would just, you would, it would always, like, you could bet $20, like, Shawshank Redemption was on TV somewhere. And you mm-hmm. could maybe be right, like, 75% of the time. <laughs> so we have, I think it was Turner Classic Movies or or one of those, I don't know. Yeah. But it used, to, it used to be on TV literally, like, once a week, at least. And it, it was... It was highly acclaimed by the critics at the time, but it was a box office flop. But it has been like, oh, God, what is the word I'm looking for? <laughs> became a cult classic. It became a cult classic. Yeah, it's it's been. Or ridiculous. not even a cult, cult classic. Yeah, yeah. Not even Exactly. It's been like, like it, I think even on Rotten it, Tomatoes, uh, it has like a 90s, like post posthumously, if you posthumously, will. Posthumously uh, became has, a classic. And yeah. yeah, it's now one of it's 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 rated as one of the best movies of all time. And it's a really, I mean, it's it's based off of a Steve, Stephen King short story, and you know that's all you really need to have a great movie, right there. I think he sold he sold mm-hmm. the rights to the story to the director for like five thousand dollars, and then a few years later, like sent the director the check back, like in a frame, like ha ha ha. I don't, I don't even. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it was maybe the first movie that that Stephen King sold, and uh, really? yeah, he wasn't he wasn't quite stephen king of of movies whereas i'm pretty sure now he's the author with the most books that have been made into movies i would support that statement and yeah i think it it might have been the first the first one because what did it come out in 92 or something 94 ish yeah i was gonna say three so one of those one of those three years will be right yeah you got (laughs) tim robbins and morgan freeman and um yeah it's a great it's a great movie so Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, is wrongfully convicted and sentenced to two consecutive life terms in a harsh prison um, for the murders of his wife and her lover. There, he forms a friendship with Red, played by Morgan Freeman. He experiences the brutality of prison life. He adapts. He helps the warden. He retains hope and eventually gains the respect of his fellow inmates. And ultimately, Andy achieves his ends on his own terms. I believe that Shawshank reveals the core belief of Western thought and Christianity that if you give individuals too much freedom, it will lead to anarchy. A major theme of this movie is that faith is often misused and it demonstrates like the global commonality of religious corruption. It is everywhere and people in charge are going to put on that mantle of faith and they're going to try to convince you that they're the, the sheep in, uh, they're the wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, the movie posits faith is forever being co-opted in the world for tyrants to gain power and control over people or society. Uh, in Shawshank, the prisoners are kept on an extremely short lease, knowing all the while the other hand is white-knuckling a baton and gleefully waiting for an excuse to wield it. It's very reminiscent of Christian authority figures and their focus on the punitive and the ever-present threat of hell and the complete fear-mongering to keep the faithful and I just want to talk about like institutionalized prison for a minute. Like, yeah. So today, nearly half of the people in prison in our country are there for nonviolent drug offenses. These people have no business being behind bars whatsoever. Like, their lives have been stolen from them. They have been enslaved and abused. At, like, at worst, they need our help. 
And at best, they just need to be left the fuck alone. Like, if you want to do drugs, fine. Like, just leave people alone. Like, prison is quite literally, no exaggeration, legalized slavery. Uh, penal labor in the United States is explicitly allowed by the 13th Amendment to the Constitution. Neither slavery, and I'm quoting, neither slavery nor involuntary, involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States. So this is it's disgusting that this is enshrined in our constitution like this should definitely be abolished nobody should be profiting off of the suffering of others and most offenders should be offered assistance rather than face punitive consequences and we the taxpayer are paying are subsidizing these industries so that they make billions of dollars in 2018 the prison industrial complex made 7.4 billion dollars while costing taxpayers $39 billion. So they're enslaving people who are trying to make a living for themselves, trying to get high for a minute and forget their shitty existence. Oh, you're a slave now. And they're doing it with our money. The war on drugs has been an absolute failure. Fuck you, Joe Biden. We must abandon it. Like, people get life sentences for selling weed while rapists like Brock Turner get six months in jail due to their promising swimming careers. And assholes like the warden in this movie get fat off of slave labor while we get to, you know, be all high and mighty out here on the outside and pretend that we're protecting society and rehabilitating prisoners. Oh, yeah. I mean, I... <clears throat> I was definitely thinking about the prisons for profit and it just always makes me think of this case from a couple years ago where a judge was found to be receiving kickbacks from a profit for a for-profit prison corporation for giving uh, longer sentences to <laughs> drug offenders <laughs> and I mean of, of offenders of all types and it's just yeah it's it's really sad when you think about it you know and it, it, the second thing I always think of is how people say America is the greatest country in the world. And um, there's that quote from that show Newsroom where he talks about the, the things that America is the greatest in the world at. And this is one of the three. We, we have the highest imprisonment rate in the world. And there's, there's two million U.S. citizens in, in, in jail something like five percent of the world's population and like 25 percent of the world's prison population yeah yeah i was see that's what i was looking for uh but i couldn't find it um but yeah it's crazy it's crazy especially and the richest nation in the world and yeah half of these people are there for nonviolent drug crimes it's costing us 40 billion dollars a year to keep them in cages it's it doesn't make any sense. And human beings should not be kept in cages, like especially for a long extended period of time. And especially if you want to pretend like you're doing anything to help them. Like I've been arrested a couple of times and I haven't ever spent more than 24 hours behind bars. But that was just like it was detrimental to my fucking health for sure, like mentally and physically even for I think. For up to over a year after the last time I got arrested, my smoke alarm would go off and I would have a panic attack because I like in somewhere in my brain, I believed like the cops were going to come to my house. Like they were going to hear the smoke alarm and the smoke alarm was going to bring them to me and like just being encountering those individuals again. And I I'm a white woman. I'm a very privileged white woman. And I and it's and so I can't even imagine, you know, what black people experience on a daily basis from 
fear of these assholes who will literally do anything to exert their power and their force over you and they'll they'll make up lies we've seen it they kill people we've seen it we know it's our our system is so fucked it's so fucked yeah no yeah. It's, it's it's no i mean i've been to jail before too um and yeah like it's not it's not cool like same as you less less than 24 hours but like it's not a, it's not a place that you want to be even for for one minute like I can't imagine. And especially now that we have a hundred years of data that, that shows that it doesn't it doesn't work. It the when you get into the prison system, you're basically guaranteed to come back because, because you're surrounded by prisoners. All you talk about is illegal activity. You come out of jail, especially as a felon, you can't get a job. What are you gonna do? You're gonna go do the only thing that you know how to do to make money to provide for your family, which is probably something illegal and they make it almost impossible for you to be successful when you get out like you have to you have to have money to pay your parole officer you have to be able to meet with your parole officer at an exact time you know at an exact place that may be far away from you and you probably you don't have a car you don't have somebody who can drive you somewhere like they 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 want you to recidivate i think it's yeah recidivism they want you back they they make it so difficult for you to be successful on the outside because they they want you're supposed to be in prison like that's how it's a business it's just like you know that's that they they want their customers to come back and they want their prisoners to come back like they they have shit for you to do they're making money off of you just being there and even Andy in the movie says he had to come to Shawshank to become a criminal to become a criminal yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a quote from uh, Blow the George young movie with johnny depp where he says you know i went into prison with a bachelor's in marijuana and i came out with a phd in cocaine Mm -hmm. like that's how he became the most successful cocaine dealer in the history of the united states is by talking to other prisoners it's just it doesn't work it's a fucked up system and it yeah if you so why are we perpetrating it people are making money off of it it's just simple answer people are making money off of it and it allow like if we pretend like these people are evil and they deserve to be there it allows us to ignore how we failed these people from infancy and just mm-hmm. if we had taken care of them in the first place they never would have needed to resort to a quote unquote life of crime you know and again like i said yeah i don't think like selling drugs deserves to be hard time if you're a non-violent offender and you were just like trying to help somebody else alleviate their pain with their drug of choice like what business is, is that of the fucking governments like it's not <laughs> only the only the government's allowed to control the price of drugs okay <laughs> or wealthy white people yeah like they're they're allowed to poison our like well is anything going to happen to the purdue family except for they they lose some of their fortune like are any of them ever going to spend any time behind bars no no <laughs> no and they've they've poisoned the country um, so let's see. We are talking about a movie, <laughs> and our hero. We first meet him outside of the home of his wife's lover, and he's drunk. He's got a gun. He's got bullets. You know, he's listening to a sad song. But we we see him drive away, and the next time we meet him, he's in a courtroom and he's pleading his innocence. And they haven't been able to find his gun because he claims he flew it, threw it in the river. So they can't, like, compare it to 
you know, the, the gun that actually killed them, I guess, is that? So, um, the bullets, the, the you know, ballistics comparison. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> um, and that the prosecutor, which fuck all prosecutors, <laughs> they no seriously, like they will do anything to win and they have like zero oversight. Like they get, to, they get to choose who they're going to go after and who they're not going to go after. And they oftentimes choose to go after the poor black person instead of, you know, they, 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 they are very predatory and they have nobody telling them what to do and nobody making sure you know, that they're doing the right thing. So again, I stand by that statement. (laughs) So the prosecutor says like, now, does that strike you as a fantastic coincidence, Mr. Dufresne? Or is it just me? And he's referring to the fact that they can't find the gun. And Andy says like, uh, since I am innocent of this crime, I find it decidedly inconvenient. The gun was never found. And I just, I thought that was a really great line. And I, like, I think it speaks to the meaninglessness of coincidence, which we discuss all the time, but I don't think it's ever going to lose its relevancy. You know, they're not always meaningful. And when you string them together like this without evidence, the only thing you have to prove your point are assumptions and belief that your assumptions are true. And that's, that's what religion is. Like we've, We've made, we've told ourselves a bunch of stories. We're making a bunch of assumptions and we believe those assumptions are going to be true. We have faith that those assumptions are going to be true. It's dangerous to live your life on this premise and allow yourself to be convinced of these things. Like you need to question what your leaders are telling you, question your prosecutors. Like we need guards guarding the guards. (laughs) (laughs) Who watches the watchman? All of these things together, the bullets and the tire tracks, like if they had found the gun or if we had a witness, like would be a great coincidence if true you know and hard hard to accept otherwise so no i mean yeah they 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 couldn't prove basically they didn't have a different suspect they had him at the scene they had fingerprints on a gun they had the same type of bullets and they had no gun to verify whether it came from the same gun and uh yeah i guess they had some religious zealotry going on in the courtroom and um the judge that's what really, that's what always pisses me off about that scene is the judge when he passes the sentence he looks at Andy and he says Mr. Dufresne you strike me as a particularly uh <laughs> what does he say gosh cold, cold and and unfeeling and, I think yeah a remorseless man yeah <laughs> this is a guy you you've never met before you have no idea you know <laughs> anyway uh, a sentence used to two consecutive life sentences one for each of your victims. And it's just such a holier-than-thou judgment that it really just pisses me off because he's just a quiet guy, you know? He's a smart, quiet guy. He's in, he's, yeah, he's not just sitting there blubbering. He's not a super emotional guy. Anyway, I hate that part. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Like I said, they will do anything to get that conviction. And the judges have no oversight either, especially with their judgments and the, the sentences. <laughs> No, yeah. If you're a judge in America, you you can do it whatever the fuck you want. You can't even be arrested. If you are interested in this topic, I highly recommend the third season of Serial. The reporters hunker down like in this uh, judicial courthouse in Ohio. I think it's in Ohio, and they follow like different cases that they come across. It's horrific. It's disgusting. It's eye-opening. Multiple random black men are locked in the same closet at different times for days on end starved forced to defecate in lockers and use their socks to clean themselves like it's fucked up fuck prosecutors fuck cops fuck the whole system so then we skip to red in front of the 
parole board. He is trying to plead his case about how he is rehabilitated, rehabilitated, and you can tell his like heart's not in it. But like literally, what could he have said? Like, what did they want to hear? Like, has he been rehabilitated? Like, what about his time in this place would have accomplished such a thing? Like, before he yeah. came along, they didn't even have like decent books to read. You know, like. Yeah, it's it's like it's a hell on earth, you know. And like, if you've seen now, they have so dozens of them. These shows where you could see that it's 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 a violent world, and the guards they can't protect you from everything that goes on in there. I mean, it's almost and it's not even it's, like they want to or feel like it's their job. Yeah, they feel like you're below them and you deserve it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 less safe than I don't know any anywhere else you could think of in America. To be to be in prison, uh, how would you get rehabilitated? You're you're lucky to survive, you know. Can you be rehabilitated with with two life sentences? Also, without the hope of a better life, like what are mm-hmm. you getting rehabilitated for? What's your motivation? Like you, God, I think like this is an example of why Christianity is such an attractive tool of control for authoritarian regimes, slave holders, manipulative assholes, what have you. The narrative allows them to give the individual hope in an utterly hopeless situation. Like, there's no reason that logically you should have hope whatsoever. But you'll never be free. Your life is never going to be better. You deserve everything that's happened to you. You are a piece of shit. But maybe, just maybe, if you do exactly as the authority says, if you're a real good little slave, maybe when you die, you won't burn forever. Good deal, huh? Yeah. (laughs) So what did you think about when um, the newcomers meet Captain Hadley and the guards and Warden Warden? <clears throat> yeah, so that's kind of introduces the Warden in that scene. And <laughs> yeah, he says, I believe in two things, discipline and the Bible. Here you'll receive both. <laughs> and that's after he has the captain of his guard beat the shit out of somebody for asking when they get to eat. After he asks if they have any questions like yeah. <laughs> now's the time to ask a question the guy <laughs> guy asks like the simplest question in the world and he just gets dropped with the baton to the gut like God, it must have hurt so bad and even right before that the first the warden says the first rule is no blasphemy the other rules you'll figure out <laughs> as you go along so we have like the the letter of the law you know this is what we care about in terms of christianity not taking the lord's name in vain i yeah do, i don't care about feeding you i don't care about no bodily harm coming to you i don't care about like treating you with like dignity and respect as a human like none of those things matter don't take the lord's name in vain and don't ask any fucking questions because you're a slave like shut the fuck up like the warden yeah. like sets sets the stage for the well, pre- he- the other line he used kind of makes it clear that he's not talking about God up in heaven. He's talking about himself when yes. he says, uh, how does he say it? Um, Put your trust in the Lord. Your ass belongs to me. Yes. He's, he's basically saying, I am God now. So don't blaspheme. Don't, don't, don't offend me and you'll be fine. And then the guy asks a question and gets a gets a gut punch (laughs) yeah the same mentality that we saw in full metal jacket where the authority figure expects to be put up high 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 on the pedestal with god looking down on the felons the sinners like Mm -hmm. the warden 
uses his religiosity as an excuse for evil. Like, everything that he does, everything that he is doing, he claims to do it in the name of God. Like, another fat, orangey, rapey despot we know. Uh, (laughs) His brutal punishments, his his later theft from the Inside Out program, like, all done with God's blessing. Because he is the powerful white man of faith who mustn't be questioned. Questioned. The warden wears a mask of faith so that the faithful won't question his actions. Like, all positions of authority, as we've already said, should have strong checks on their power. Like, faith is not a virtue, and having faith should not be used as a measure of a person's worth or trustworthiness. If God exists, he is condoning this violence, right? Like, I love the Mm -hmm. idea that, like, blasphemers and, like, super sinners, they'll get struck down. Oh, the Lord's gonna strike them down. It's total crap. I blaspheme constantly with zero consequences. My favorite swear <laughs> word is Jesus fucking Christ. Like, it's if you want evidence for the fact that your God does not exist, like my continuing life is is a great is a great point. Like, surely and, and <laughs> like, wouldn't he be stamping out like abuse and evils like done in his name? Like, no, he's not gonna do. I, I, like, I saw a great meme going around this week because you know little Nas uh dropped a new music video where he he wakes up in the garden of eden and he starts like having sex with like the snake almost like making out and then he does a pole dance all the way into hell and gives the devil a lap dance and then he kills the de- kills the devil so laugh so christians are like freaking out about this music video and there was a meme going around that was like pointing out like because christians are i know you've heard evangelical leaders say you know the reason that america is in the state that it's in is because you know we took the bible out of schools and we're letting gay people marry each other and it's like okay so god hates gay people but slavery he was all like during like one of our arguably most prosperous times like god was like right up there with us like fuck that. Mm-hmm. like but because two men who love each other are allowed to be together he abandons us like god yeah you guys Pay attention to what you say. Like, fuck Christianity, man. <laughs> no, it's it's <clears throat> it's funny, too, because I've, I've not heard someone bring it up like that before either, you know? Same. Uh, which, But, of course, like, I've known that. I've always known, known that. And, yeah, it was. I thought it was a really mm-hmm. interesting perspective. Yeah. And I love how, like, this just goes back to me for, like, the, the problem of evil. Like, that Christians always try to say it's a, it's a human problem, you know, because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And But do we, like, attack everyone we meet because, like, we've been harmed once before? Do we blame others for all the bad things that befall us? Or, like, do we learn forgiveness? Like, do we learn to be better? Like, could you even send your worst enemy? Like, the person that you hate. I don't even know if I hate anybody. But, like, somebody I probably did at once upon a time. And I used to use this, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't send the person that I hate the most to burn for eternity. Eternity is forever. Like to suffer for, or even to go to hell, like as, as hell is described. Like, I don't think anybody deserves that. I don't, I, I, I don't even know, like Trump doesn't even deserve to suffer for eternity. Like, let's just wipe his existence out. Like, that's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, how could, how could you send someone to suffer for eternity for crimes that were committed uh, in a non 
eternal time frame like yeah there's, there's no way that that's justified eternity is a long fucking time yeah <laughs> evil is not a human problem we didn't create this place we didn't make the rules christians act as if god isn't the all-powerful being they claim he is like he could change everything he makes the rules so if evil exists and he exists evil exists by his choice and that's where I, I wrote, put your trust in the Lord. Your ass belongs to me. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the warden is every powerful sadist who's used their authority and the Bible to enact unspeakable tortures onto beings they have othered. Columbus, the Spanish Inquisition, the God of the Bible, Hitler, men all after one another's hearts. Like, mm-hmm. So they're sprayed down with hoses and cages. They're de-loused. They're given some pants and a Bible. The next thing that I thought was interesting uh, was when Andy found the maggot in his food. Um, I mean, I thought it's an interesting way to start introducing the other characters uh, of the the prison. You know, because you first look at Brooksy as as basically this crazy prison guy who's about to eat a maggot by special request. You're like, oh my God, he's going to eat that maggot. Yeah. And he's then really looking forward to eating that maggot. He's pumped about it. Yeah, he's got the big eyes and the smile. And then, yeah, he's got a little birdie in his pocket and he's feeding him. And it's just like adorable. You're like, oh, my God, what a sweet old man. That's a really cool way that they flip your expectations on that one. Especially after what you've seen in the prison so far, you're getting like a little bit freaked out. Because isn't that right after the they get the new guy beaten to death for... <laughs> for crying for his mommy yes yeah so we see yeah the, they they play the game of fresh fish they all bet like who's gonna cry first red puts his money on andy and it's this uh, and hadley you know is right next to the the fat fucker his words that he chose and he like you know tortures him and eggs him on until he just loses his mind and then hadley comes beats him to death he ends up dying from his wound and that's andy's first night and so his first morning he sits down and he meets brooks and like it's it's a really disgusting scene initially but i think it offers us our first glimmer of hope his first morning in his new home and i think it was it's quite like an inspirational moment for him he witnesses something seemingly gross and unfortunate blossom into something you know beautiful it could have set a very different tone if Brooks hadn't been there to shine a light on this moment. Like if Andy had just sat by himself and found the maggot, like it could have just been like, oh my, but it got transformed by Brooks, who's one of the only other prisoners that we meet who, like Andy, is able to carve out a place for himself and bring meaning to his life. So I think this would really have sparked something in Andy and allowed Andy to get on that trail of hope towards like his own, like he gets the rock carvings later, you know, he asked like, right, uh, like, not very long after this scene we see andy approach red about the rock hammer like brooks can have jake i can carve some rocks we need one another sometimes to inspire us in these ways like human connection is super important definitely the connection element and the humanity of it and well yeah i mean just seeing something that is seemingly outside of this strict religious sort of control that they're under that is that is violent and and scary you know and it's like brooks it's ironic that he's the one to and inspire andy with hope 
is we we eventually see that he's institutionalized sort of beyond the point of hope maybe it's 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 his acceptance of because i think you could probably say that brooks doesn't think he's ever going to get out of prison which is why he might do something like adopt a bird and try and nurse it back to health and anyway yeah it it shows andy that not not everything inside the prison is uh people getting beaten to death for not following the strictest orders yeah for sure yeah and i think he like he can he sees there's possibilities here like he's like okay i see how this person is able to feed their soul a little bit like maybe there's some way like i can feed my soul which is will in turn make it easier for him to feed other souls which is it's what it's Andy's like mission. Andy is hopeful. He's a well of hope for everybody in that prison. He's a he's a he's a doer. You know, he's the kind of person that that needs a project to put their energy into. I'm sure after his first 24 hours in jail, he's he's thinking, you know, what the what am I going to do here to pass the time? And just seeing that that little bird in Brooks's pocket showed him, hey, there's th- th- things are possible here that you might not think would be possible here. I think the very next scene that we see after he gets told off for asking the dead guy's name is him strolling through the yard and telling Red that he used to be a rock hound and he'd like to be again. Rock Before he asks Red for the rock hammer, he is approached by the sisters in the okay. showers, which is some foreshadowing. And then like the scene right after getting the rock hammer from Red is when the sisters corner him and rape him for the first time. Then after that, the warden announces that they need some folks to resurface the roof. And Hmm. Andy and his friends, uh, Red and his friends, I guess, at this point, they just so happen to be the lucky ones who get (laughs) to the roof detail. I mean, I guess just by chance, they overhear the guard's conversation talking about his dead brother leaving him $35,000 and complaining about the tax implications. (laughs) And Andy, being a former banker, has a little bit of a light bulb moment, offers to handle the tax-free gift papers for the the guard in exchange for three beers apiece for his co-workers. Um, (laughs) To me, that's one of the best lines in the movie is Red, obviously, narrating, talking about why Andy did it because... He, he refuses the beer. He doesn't drink any of the beer. <laughs> and Haywood tries to offer one. And he says, no, sorry, man, I gave up drinking. And so Red, the narrator, is just kind of musing about it. And he says, some some people say that he did it to curry favor with the guards. Or some people say that he did it to make a few friends among the convicts. But I think he did it just to feel normal again, if only for a short while. Yeah, and I think that's that, that was hand, Andy's MO for all of prison, is what can I do to make this feel like I'm not in prison for a little while? And yeah, that was the first time that we see him use his experience and his brain to do something that no other prisoner probably would have been able to pull off. This makes me think of uh, the word redemption, which has a couple of meanings, and it can be like the action of saving or being saved. And it's also the action of regaining or gaining possession of something. And I think, mm. like, Andy redeems himself on a daily basis from the reality of his existence by channeling his energy into helping others. Like, while we see no outward signs of faith, you know, we don't see him praying, he never claims to be a Christian, like, this behavior 
this passion for service. It might be observed as a fruit of the spirit under a Christian reading, but Christians are not the good Samaritans they so often imagine themselves to be. Like Christians today, the ones who voted for a rapist and chief Trump would call Andy a dirty socialist. Like, but Andy <laughs> recognizes that if you can help someone, you should like, and we all benefit in more ways than one when we strive to take care of one another. And I think in this context, Andy is the redeemer and the redeemed, redeemed, excuse me. He redeems the other prisoners by giving them hope, something to live for. And he self selflessly uses his rewards for helping the captain of the guard um, he to get the root beers, like you said. And he basks in the glow of their enjoyment for his reward. His reward is their enjoyment, is their sense of normality. Like he's just observing them and, and the way that they enjoy the beers and, you know, the way that the sun hasn't risen to a super hot moment yet. And they're all just getting to sit there and chill like regular dudes on a break from work for a minute. Like, and he yeah. risks his position as pampered favorite. He risks bodily harm and he whisks, risks weeks in the hole in order to bring the entire prison some semblance of beauty and awe by playing a little Mozart one day. Like he is continually willing to sacrifice his happiness and well-being for the sake of others, to lift them from the wages of their sins. Like, and he finally redeems himself once and for all when he gains freedom from Shawshank through years of planning, perseverance, and the willingness to call through half a mile of shit. And he even gains financial freedom and freedom from the rat race with his ingenious scheme to abscond with the warden's ill-gotten funds so i thought like it's interesting the way that redemption can be used in so many different contexts throughout like the whole movie absolutely yeah and i don't know there's something about andy that for him it's 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 not simply personal like he he feels free when he can get those people around him just for a moment to forget that they're in prison and there's a, there's a line in there the narrator says you know we could have been tar in the roof of of one of our own houses yes that's that's the first time as the viewer that you see that andy is is fulfilled and yeah that's a great word redeemed by this uh this gift that he's able to give the other prisoners and not long after that there's a scene between andy and red where andy maintains his innocence and red tells him oh everybody's innocent here and that he's the only guilty man in shawshank <laughs> and um doing a little bit of research for this episode there's of course like so many different accounts of the, the number one essays and things that were popping up were christians trying to use this story like and trying to use andy dufresne as like christ-like figure the entire story is actually a metaphor for a soul being damned to hell Shawshank is that hell, you know, then they go through purgatory, the sewer, which isn't in the Bible and is strictly Catholic as far as I know. And then he's finally allowed into heaven to do Watanejo. But mm -hmm. Andy was innocent. <laughs> they forget yep. that. So like innocent people don't go to hell. I mean, supposedly, I don't want to discount, you know, literally every person who has never heard of Jesus and wasn't aware they needed to accept him into their hearts in order to escape eternal damnation. Like, however... <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of the argument like theologically like people guilty of not accepting jesus as their savior go to hell like sinners in a state of sin go to hell are we arguing that andy wasn't a christian i don't see evidence for that either way really except for the fact that he seems like a good dude 
which, you know, we can interpret that however we want also. And what about his time in hell earns him passage through purgatory and into heaven? By his own account, like we already said, he had to come to prison to become a crook. So ostensibly, his behavior is now worse than it was on the outside. He goes through no religious revival. He helps people, certainly. But like, what does that have to do with Jesus? That's just his choice. It's how he is just a purveyor Hmm. of hope and a believer in hope. He uses the Bible as a shield the same way Warden Norton does more than anything, hoping the mask of faith will not only endear him to his authority figure, who wears the same mask, but also hide his means of escaping. And it's a mask that many of us have been forced to don a time or two. Like, I think, does the fact that Andy working in contrast to the warden, like our upstanding Christian leader, our preacher stand-in, if you will, like, does Andy's desire and ability to bring the other prisoners a modicum of hope and humanity earn him passage into heaven? No, because it doesn't fucking matter what we do here on earth. All of our acts are meaningless and empty without the grace of Jesus. Like, it doesn't matter how good you were or how many people you helped. If you don't ask Jesus to come into your heart, the lifelong murdering rapist who asks him on his deathbed will get into heaven while you burn for eternity. Like, <laughs> and there's no, and hell's not meant to redeem people. Hell is meant to punish you. It's, it's yeah. yeah, it's forever. It's another thing that's just ridiculous. Like, like how does how does that kind of hell make any kind of sense with a Christian God? It it do, it wouldn't serve any purpose, right? Because yeah, obviously you'd want the person going through this thing to see the error of their ways, be redeemed, change their behavior, and and then go to heaven, right? Just just like Andy does. But no, that's not how the Christian religion works. You didn't say Jesus's name three times fast in the right order. You don't get to go. When you try to control people, like back to this idea that this Western belief and this is deeply Christian belief that you have to have like absolute authority over the people under you or you will have chaos. When you try to control people to that extent, when you don't allow people to live their lives, their truths for the fear of eternal punishment, like you can never trust those people. You can never have an honest and open relationship with those people. Like nobody can live up to your idea of perfection everybody's gonna have something to hide in that atmosphere what is a time you had to use the guise of christianity to protect yourself Uh oh i mean i'm trying to think of one that wasn't just incredibly low stakes um (laughs) (laughs) god i don't know Okay, I'll tell you mine, and then maybe you'll think of yours. So mine, I actually used the guise of Christianity to protect you one time. Um, (laughs) Really? Okay. So our dad was an administrator at a Christian school, and smoke pot, um, and I I didn't really at the time, um, but I, you know, everybody did, like a lot of, not everybody, but a lot of people did, and um, it was a rumor, a rumor had gone around that TJ was a drug dealer at our school. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. And my dad had received this list from a literal snitch of drug dealers at our school, and my brother's name, TJ's name, was on it. And he, like, literally, I'm walking through the gym one day, and he's just like, hey, I need to talk to you about this. (laughs) And I was like, and I just oh, yes i mean no like and he's like is there is there any truth to this is there any truth you know why is your brother's name on this list like why would anybody say this about him and i'm just like oh gosh like you know dad like that 
we have friends like who do things and maybe we'll even be hanging out with our friends like when we're doing things and when it comes down to it like we of course tell our friends you know they shouldn't be doing things but like we can't control them and we're not just going to stop being friends with them like that wouldn't be christian so like i under <laughs> you know i understand it's a small school i understand why his name's on that list but like we're christians and we're athletes like i think that was that was more, that was the clincher it was more right? the athlete than the christian but like we're christians and we're athletes and like we would never do anything like that to like <laughs> interfere with what's going on here of course we are right. we're your good little soldiers i promise <laughs> <laughs> and yeah he he was like okay that's all i needed to know and i was like yep okay bye <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's i mean i don't know i i was always in trouble i, I mean i i feel like from moment to moment second to second you're just going from being with your friends and having a good time to oh shit there's someone that i have to act like a christian in front of yeah put the veil back down put it down yeah (laughs) yeah and so you just constantly had this like other mask that you would have to put on and it was almost like preventative you know what i mean as opposed to like that situation where you're like actively lying to save my bacon like it was it was the other way around like you put on this face around people so that when when shit comes up they wouldn't think things like that you know they would be like oh no he he plays ball he he, he's a christian yeah Yeah, no he 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 does the things that you're supposed to do you know uh, another time I was grounded for like three months for lying to go about going to a graduation party. And I literally made this calendar with like different cry for freedom. It was a, a pull calendar, you know, it's so like the first and then you pull that page off and it's the second. And, oh, yeah. and I wrote, you know, MLK things on there. You know, I wrote like different protest slogans on there. And I think like 30 days in, I had written Jesus says forgive and on that day is when my dad decided he was going to unground me. He was like, you're right. Like, okay. And I was like, oh my God. Like, why didn't I write that on the first page? Like, (laughs) 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 Oh my God. The irony. So after Andy maintains his innocence with red, which we know is actually the truth, he orders the Rita Hayworth poster and he has another run in with Boggs and the boys. And we learn that like, he gets raped kind of on a semi-regular basis. And I just also, again, to anybody who thinks this is a Christian redemption story, like, what story where the hero gets raped on a regular basis, like, does that hero, like, turn into a better person? How, how does being tortured and, and raped and beaten, how is that going to give you a redemption arc? <laughs> like, what? Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, because of Andy's in with the guards, he his tormentor is beaten by the guards. And he doesn't really have to deal with them. Like, Boggs, his rapist, never walks again. And I think that leads us to when the warden, quote-unquote, randomly decides to inspect Andy's cell. What did you think about that scene? It's kind of the same thing again, where they're both sort of using that mask of religiosity. The the warden notices the Bible in his hands, and he asks him, you know, what's your favorite passage? And Andy just instantly off the top of his head has something like hyper relevant. It's like, watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then of course the the warden just being you know the worst person ever he's like oh that's a great verse but i prefer i'm the light of the world whoever walks in me shall not <laughs> live in darkness or something just like straight god complex on this guy but he he likes that about andy and andy plays it plays it well that i don't know and i don't know if you if the warden character sees them as having the same mask or maybe as just having the same outward appearance. But Andy Andy plays it well. After showing his, his ability to do everyone's taxes, the warden is um, size, sizing him up for some other opportunities. Yeah, it's a great way we see that faith you know, displayed as a double-edged sword there. Like on the one hand, it's the warden is using it as his mask. And on the mm -hmm. other hand, like he's allowing himself to be deceived by Andy's mask. And he doesn't really care. Like he's like, I don't need to know anything else. Like you have a Bible and you just quoted a verse to me. You knew mm -hmm. the location of my verse. I knew the location of your verse. Let's shake each other's dicks and be friends. Like, yeah. this is like great example of how faith is used in Shawshank to illustrate corruption. We have the Weasley creepy ass warden. He, he can't even tell a man when his next meal is coming without beating him. Show off his Bible quiz kid skills in a verse battle with one of his prisoners. Like, this man is so small, he has to use every opportunity to display dominance, even over someone who is his literal prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> and Andy, being the smart man that he is, he is well aware of the warden's penchant for religiosity. He was paying attention when the rules were being told we know the lord the warden made it very clear on the first day and so andy's like okay i'm going to use this bible as my protection faith has become his tool for softening the warden and tricking him into thinking that andy was a certain kind of person and mm -hmm. andy knows his verses well and he doesn't hesitate to demonstrate to the warden who eagerly eats it up like he wants to believe andy is one of the good ones he wants to believe andy is deserving the favors he will show him because it serves his own ends it's very convenient for andy to be a good christian because he wants to be justified in his use of andy and i well, love see i don't even know if he cares about that as far as like his moral fiber he takes it and andy Andy always plays himself sort of just very humbly and quietly. And I think the warden sees in that moment that this this will be an obedient tool. Yeah. And I love that the warden is holding Andy's Bible. And we don't know this at the time, but like much later, like that's where the rock hammer was, right? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a literal mask for Andy's crime and how he escapes the prison. And the warden had it in his hot little hands. And so after this... <laughs> After this meeting, Andy gets reassigned to the library. He starts doing taxes for the guards of multiple prisons. He becomes the warden's like personal accountant. And again, he uses this position of influence to help his fellow prisoners. He doesn't start a church. He doesn't try to make sure everybody can read scripture, but he sets out on a mission to like transform the library into a chapel of learning. He is the kind of person who wants to share his power. The very thing that helps him rise to his sanctioned and papered status was his book learning. And instead mm -hmm. of hiding the secret to his success, he does his utmost to share knowledge with as many prisoners as he can. Like he doesn't view himself as better than the others because of his status given to him by his education, the way religious folks judge those outside of the fold. He doesn't judge people for not having the knowledge. He doesn't cast people who can't read out of his chapel. He welcomes everyone who wants to better themselves. So I've already touched on when uh, 
Andy played Mozart for the other prisoners. But I just like this scene is so poignant because it demonstrates like his repeated natural instincts that he has to like feed other people's souls in so many more ways than one. Like first, it's the simple act of the roof beers. And now he's playing opera for them over the intercom. Like he uses his rewards and takes punishment to help other people. Like he tells his friends, like went after spending a month in the hole, like I had Mr. Mozart to keep me company. Like he had him in his head and in his heart. Like that's the beauty of music. They can't take that from you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, you know, the opposite, the complete opposite mentality of religion, which is constantly like preying on your fear and using your hope against you to enslave you. And Andy wants to give you hope so that you can use it to free yourself. And where the warden uses fear and violence to to motivate his prisoners, like a pastor, you know, raving about the fiery vows of hell. Like, why does Andy help people? Why does Andy choose to do good and be good for others? Like, he has the ability to pinpoint the intrinsic needs of others, the needs of the soul, if there is such a thing. Like, he has hope, and his hope sustains him and keeps him sane, and he endeavors to spread that hope wherever he can. I love that. He even he's such like a quote unquote good person that he characterizes himself as being indirectly guilty for sending his wife into the arms of another man. Like, but we only have that's only Andy's perspective. And like, we can all get like pretty negative, you know, looking at our own lives from afar. Like from what we see of Andy, he knows what people needs and he enjoys giving it to them. Like, maybe this is only a skill that he develops on the inside, but I just don't see, like, what about his experience on the on the inside would result in such a transformation. Like, does someone who survives multiple beatings and game ranks tip- typically come out on the other side with greater empathy and understanding of others? What Was that his penance? Like, I like to believe maybe he wasn't, like, wonderful to his wife, but I just don't, like, there's no way that I can imagine him being, like, how it was his fault. Like, I feel like she was just probably, like, a selfish asshole, and she hurt him because she could, which is, you know, it's something that a lot of people do. Like, unfortunately, we only have Andy's perspective on the matter, but like I said, like, I think we're all our own worst critics, and I think it's, maybe for somebody like Andy, it's easier for him to exist within the prison if he believes that he like deserves to be there on some level i i agree with you i don't know he's he's a quiet guy he's kind of say that he's overly introverted you could believe that he's portrayed as maybe like he wouldn't necessarily be be really fun all the time or something (laughs) like that i don't know which is it's it's weird to say because there are plenty of times where he he is funny with his with his friends, with Red, with the other guys and like that. So, yeah, I think you just got to take it as that's part of his personality. He's looking for things that ways that he could do better, make it better. Like, you know, and he's trying to understand it. Like, why did this this woman that I loved and I thought she loved me? You know, why would she do this? And that's his rationalization. It's a, I, I should have been a more loving husband my fault yeah like yeah i didn't kill her but i I drove her her away yeah exactly because he just because he can't understand it i guess yeah we don't really know for sure so going off of our our hope theme and redemption red has lost hope i think Mm -hmm. red red doesn't have any hope at all and andy 
has to work like a little bit hard. Like Red is like Brooks and he even says it himself. Like, right. He doesn't necessarily have hope, but he's like become institutionalized. He's figured out a way to exist, you know, where it's not so terrible. Like an Andy tries to give him, you know, the harmonica and, 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 and at first he like was like rejects the harmonica. And I think like Red is maybe asking Andy, like why he does what he does. And, Andy says, like, here's where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. Forget that there are places in the world that aren't made out of stone. That there's something inside that they can't get to, that they can't touch. It's yours. And Red is just like, what the fuck are you talking about? And Andy, yeah. <laughs> and Andy's like, hope. And, and Red says, let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You better get used to that idea. Even a little bit later that night, like at, he, we hear him, we hear some harmonica music like coming from his cell. So Andy was even able to like infect Red a little bit. How about when Andy learns that he's innocent? I couldn't believe that after, like, Andy is a smart man. Like, he's not stupid. And he knows that he's, you know, doing the books for the warden. I couldn't believe, and I've seen it so many times before still, that he he brings this problem to the warden. Like, call a lawyer, man. Like, <laughs> don't go to the most corrupt person you know and think that he's going to be on your side. I don't know. Maybe the the penal system worked worked differently back in those days like i don't know if they had phone calls or whatnot but it yeah you you got to assume that that he had no other option right like why would yeah. you go to your oppressor and be like hey i'm your golden goose do you want to let me go free like <laughs> it was it was never gonna happen no. or like i also i also read it as the way, you know, Andy wears the mask of faith and the warden is taken in by it. And maybe as smart as Andy is, he gets taken in by the warden's mask a little bit. You know, he's like, okay, I know this guy is corrupt on some level, but he does believe in the Bible, right? And like, he's good to me, you know, quote unquote, right. sometimes. So he, even Andy is taken in by this deception of faith, which... It's a good point because he does seem, you know, uh, utterly shocked at the warden's response. You know, uh -huh. he's like, well, no one would believe him. They're not going to be able to find anything, you know, just, you know, taking this huge possibility in Andy's mind and just basically shriveling it to saying there's there's really nothing there. And Andy's response is like almost like logical. He's just he's, he can't understand it. He's like, uh, are you, how can you be so obtuse? Is it, is it deliberate? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think Andy, the warden is just like, all right, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to let you have what you want, but in this conversation, we're still going to pretend like I'm the good guy. So I'm going to tell you this lie and you need to be quote unquote smart enough to believe this lie or else I'm going to fuck up your life. And Andy is not smart enough to believe the lie right off the bat and mm -hmm. calls him obtuse. <laughs> which really pisses him off <laughs> I think it's hilarious um sorry Andy and he has to spend like a month in the hole and then like even a week longer maybe another no another month give another him another month, month to another think month. about it and and of course Andy would never have said anything if he had known that the warden was gonna murder fucking Tommy Tommy is the inmate who brings Andy the truth of the evidence that would free Andy Tom, Tom and and the warden has the warden has this person killed so that Andy can never go free. Mm -hmm. And then when he does finally let Andy out of the hole, he threatens him with, I'll put you down 
out of the bunk, out of that one bunk Hilton and cast you among the sodomites. You'll think you've been run by a train. And, and again, that's just another example of how the warden has literally put himself on a pedestal with God. He's like, my word is God. My desires and thoughts are the same as God's desires and thoughts. Like, I have the power to cast you among the sodomites. Like, yeah, he, he, he basically frames it as, as throwing his angel out of heaven and casting him yes. down into hell. And because Andy says that he's not going to do it anymore. He's everything stops. You know, no, I'm not going to do your schemes anymore. The warden says nothing stops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, Dandy is a more a slave now than ever. And like you, we start to see that. And I think red is even mentioning, they're starting to see that his friends are beginning to worry about him thinking maybe he's, he's suicidal because he was, he was utterly defeated at that point after, having you know seen a, a glimpse at this truth that could exonerate him and seeing how quickly and easily the the warden could snuff it out and just exercise absolutely because at that point you know this this man has the has the ability to lock him in a hole that he can never see the light again and forces him basically if you want to come out of that hole you're going to keep working for me and doing these things to make me money is he you know effectively he is andy's god at this point yeah and he's enslaved him <laughs> as forced labor for his own personal benefit uh, you know i love that that point that like he is final that you made like that andy is finally able to see his chains like yeah yeah before he was for like 19 years he was able to live you know kind of oblivious to them but he after this moment when he he doesn't want to be the warden's lackey anymore he 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 starts to experience like real suffering again yeah and you know he he'd almost kind of gone through like a mental transformation to the point where he had sort of accepted some of the guilt for his wife's murder and had kind of accepted his place in prison and had, had started just sort of making the best out of his new life and then tommy's character gave him renewed hope that holy shit there's someone that can actually prove i'm innocent and the warden so easily takes that away from him it it, it, it almost breaks him yeah it, and so luckily though at some point around this time what's really going on is that he has finished his tunnel and, mm -hmm. and he needs a rope uh, that, that Haywood gives him and, and kind of thinks, oh no, was he going to kill himself with that rope? <laughs> but he just needs that to tie his shit to his leg because he's got to crawl through half a mile of shit. And I, I love this. Like Andy goes on his own hero quest. Like no god sent him to the cave to find the scroll. Like he uses his knowledge um, to make it to the promised land. Like he sets up his and he sets up a quest for his friend to follow in his footsteps. Um yeah. Shawshank claims to be a place that turns hardened criminals into law-abiding citizens. Sure, our methods are harsh and even shocking, but hey, we're doing the Lord's work, right? Like, in reality, Shawshank is just as corrupt as any criminal organization, religious or otherwise, you'd find on the outside. The leaders rule by fear and violence, with iron fists, all under the cloak of Christianity. The warden can quote any Bible verse and pretends to be as pious as a preacher, 
but he, as much as everyone else, exploits the system for personal gain. Shawshank, like the church, is just as corrupt and tainted as the outside world from which it purports to be separate. Andy is as justified as every ex-believer who escapes from a hypocritical and exploitative system that cares very little about its members and instead focuses on its own image and power. Like, I'm talking about preachers on TV claiming if you send them money, you'll be healed. Mega churches, missionaries giving medical care when they have no medical training, the Catholic Church and other churches that cover up abuse, Mother Teresa allowing and encouraging the suffering of her patients to bring glory to God. Why is your God so glorified by human suffering? Like, can't we worship someone who brings us joy and well-being to humans? <laughs> and he needs money. He just really needs money. He's poor. Yeah. <laughs> So we, so Andy, yeah, we, Andy escapes through the tunnel and we felt this whole time that he, the Rita Hayworth was covering up the tunnel. He had his rock hammer hidden in the Bible. Um, the night that he escapes, he switches out the warden's books for the Bible. So, and he takes those books, um, he takes those books to the bank and he gets to take out all the warden's ill-gotten gains from the bank for himself and he sends those dirty books to the newspaper so that the warden gets caught as well. And as the cops show up to the prison to arrest the warden, he finds the Bible with the carved out rock hammer in his safe. But yeah, I love the line, Andy signs the the Bible and, and Norton finds it and says, uh, you know, like, thanks, warden, you were right. Salvation lay within. Yeah. <laughs> you know and he's just it's the final like oh you thought i was the obedient you know christian slave boy and all the while i was hiding in plain sight and um yeah there's just the empty space cut through the all those pages where the rock hammer used to sit it's great it's amazing and then i also love there's he goes to the wall safe and that they had mentioned it earlier in the movie when Andy first shows up, his wife made, you know, a little framed thing in, in church group. And it's a verse that says his judgment cometh and that right soon. <laughs> and uh, so that was covering the, the wall safe and warden. The warden looks over there and realizes that he's fucked. <laughs> and then we have, you know, the, the, the end of red's redemption arc. Like as we've, touched on it a bit hope is one of the major themes of this movie andy refuses against the most senselessly brutal existence to lose himself and his hope and he's able to spread that hope to those around him he makes the greatest headway in the wake with his divine escape becomes a mythological figure himself and even leads his dear friend down the same divine path red is only finally paroled when he stops attempting to parrot what he thinks the board wants to hear, and he regains his sense of self in front of the authority, daring them to let him go. And in Andy's letter to Red, hidden under the volcanic rock in the wall next to the love tree, <laughs> he writes, Hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. I will be hoping that this letter finds you and finds you well. And Red is like, well, shit, man. Yeah, like get busy living or get busy dying. That's goddamn right. And mm -hmm. on his way to see Andy, he says to himself, like, I find myself. I'm so excited. I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. 
a free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope to make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope, I hope. I love the way Red phrases this little bit. I love how they don't use the word faith. They use the word hope. Faith is being sure of what you hope for. Red knows there are lots of bumps on the road and he might not make it, but he is going to try. Like his true redemption is the relighting of his ability to hope. His time in Shawshank had all but stamped it out. But Andy's friendship, goodness, Andy's escape and the breadcrumbs like he gives him to follow give him the ability to believe like good things can happen again you know hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen and christianity takes your desire and expectation for what you hope for and promises that they know it will come true and they promise that if you just do what they say you know all these things will happen like this is a lie like faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see and no one can guarantee that the things you hope for will come to pass. And when you fall for this false promise, when you allow your hopes and dreams to be promised to you by a snake oil dealer, like you open yourself up to be used. For sure. And I love how they juxtapose Red's uh, parole with um, Brooks's parole from earlier in the movie. They're basically in the, they're staying in the same halfway house in the same room. (laughs) I think they have the same job bagging groceries down at the food way. And you just kind of, you know, you're, you're not sure at first, you know, and it seems like Red is the same guy, you know, he's an institutionalized guy who is a little bit intimidated uh, of being back out of prison after so long. He has that same line, I guess, get busy living or get busy dying. And we see him up on the stool carving his name in the same place that Brooks carved his name right before he kills himself. And then I think they cut to him uh, getting the bus ticket. And you're like, okay, he's he's not going to do that. You know, he's going to because, yeah, like that's that's where Brooks was with this life. He he had lost the ability to think that his life was going to get better. You know, he's like, this is it. This is what I got. I'm waking up to nightmares, going to bag groceries every day. Like that's as good as my life's going to get. And red had the courage to hope for, for something more in spite of the fact that there was, yeah, there was no guarantee. All he had was a postcard and like he's, he's never been out of, you know, Northeast United States. Like how's he going to make it to Mexico after 30 or whatever it was 40 years in prison you know but he he had hope and he and he went for it and like, he, he had to tell the authority to fuck itself to go down that road like he could have gotten in big he could have gotten sent right back to jail if he got right. caught before he got there that's you made a great point i was just trying to expand on it hope is so much better for a human being to have than than faith because it it kind of puts it on you this there's a possibility for something better but you've got to take that step and faith just tells you to be certain of things that you have no control over and can never know for sure <laughs> you're just supposed to listen to the person in charge and do as they say it's yeah. uh if you just do as they say that'll it'll be fine don't use your brain don't yeah. take any steps to free yourself just do what we tell you to do and yeah hope has like the freedom and the individuality for like your own your own desires and your own choices. So we would encourage you listeners to exercise your hope instead of your faith. <laughs> um, have faith in yourself. If that helps you 
uh, act on your hopes for this life, but don't have blind faith in um, organizations that promise that everything is going to be okay if you just do what they want you to do. And we love you, and we hope that you join us next time. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I guess it's Easter, so like, happy Ishtar, happy spring, sex, fertility, holiday. Get out there and make some babies if you... Yeah. Fuck if like you're inclined. Some <laughs> Cadbury eggs. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Love you. No, keep doing that scraping, so maybe I can edit out your scraping. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mom made cinnamon buns over here, okay? Whatever. I have a box of 48 Cadbury eggs. Jesus. There were 48 when I first got the box.